Good afternoon and welcome to Preventing Physician Burnout, COVID-19 Special Edition, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by PerfectServe. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief at Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We've got some interactive features we want you to take advantage of. Uh, questions and comments, of course, you can send them in in the Q&A box as they occur to you, and we'll take them a little later in the program. And we're going to have a nice audience poll that we put out later. Uh, hopefully, you can participate in that, and we will discuss the results. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go 35, 40 minutes or so with our main panel discussion featuring Stephanie McIntyre. VP and Chief Applications Officer with SCL Health, Dr. Brett Oliver, CMIO with Baptist Health System, Kentucky and Indiana, and Ben Moore, Chief Product Officer with PerfectServe. And then we'll have our audience Q&A. So let's uh, jump right in. Um, Stephanie, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Absolutely. So I'm the Vice President of Applications at SCL Health, and uh, in that role, I have the pleasure of working across really all of our ministry, <clears throat> clinical revenue cycle, and also business operations. So um, have responsibility for all the applications. Um, as far as SCL Health, for those that are not familiar, um, we're a not-for-profit Catholic healthcare system, uh, and primarily cover uh, Colorado, Montana, and some parts of, of Kansas. We have some safety net clinics there. Um, eight acute facilities, over 200 uh, practices. We also offer uh, home health, hospitals, um, as well as behavioral health. All right, Stephanie, thank you very much. Uh, Brett? Hi, uh, yeah, thanks, Anthony. I'm a family physician by background, still see patients one day a week, although during COVID I have had a six-week hiatus of focusing on all things IT. Uh, Baptist Health is a uh, eight, soon to be nine hospital, non-for-profit system, and primarily in Kentucky, but we have a one hospital in Southern Indiana, uh, 300 points of care, um, have a medical group of about 1400 plus folks. And like Stephanie, we've got home health and some behavioral health and uh, fairly pretty much a full service health system. Very good, Ben. Yes, uh, thank you very much. And, and good morning, everyone. I'm Ben. I'm the chief product officer of PerfectServe. We're a unified healthcare communications company. We've been in business for about 20 years. Uh, we can be found on roughly one in five physicians in the U.S., using our product, over half a million users in our platform, including nurses and other care team members, uh, roughly 400 hospital locations and 27,000 clinics. And what we do is improve communication uh, between clinicians as well as patients and their family members with the ultimate uh, goal of improving patient outcomes. We also focus on provider scheduling to build optimized uh, schedules that, that help uh, uh, reduce uh, physician burnout. As far as my uh, background, uh, 10 years ago, I got into uh, the industry as the CEO and founder of a company called Telmedic that was acquired in 2018. I got into the business because of a breakdown in communication in the healthcare system uh, that put my family's uh, safety at risk. Hey, real quick, Ben, um, Moving from unified communications to uh, scheduling, 
Um, did you see that as a natural, what's the connection there? And you, did you see that as sort of as a natural evolution, what you were doing? Yeah, we, we did because a lot of communications, uh, are it, proper communications in healthcare are driven by the provider availability and, and call schedules. Mm-hmm. So, so by putting the two together, you're able to optimize communications and for example, not interrupting the wrong provider at the wrong, at the wrong time. Oh. Right. Yep. That makes sense. Very good. All right. Uh, let's get into it. Um, Brett, let's start with you. Describe the impact COVID has had on your organization. Oh, gosh. I mean, it's pretty much disrupted us from top to bottom. Um, a lot of negative ways in terms of patient access and things. Um, it, it's been hard on providers in terms of the burnout piece uh, when you're taking away uh, the element of touch. I, in a lot of ways with PPE and masking and not seeing folks doing it by video. Um, there's also been lots of very heavy discussions for physicians and, and nurses and the like. For instance, we've been talking over the last three to four weeks amongst the chief medical officers at all, each of our hospitals about ven- uh, ventilator allocation policy. Um, fortunately, uh, it looks like in Kentucky and Indiana, we're going to be spared some of that uh, decision-making, but we've had to have the conversations about what do you do when you run out of a certain resource like a ventilator, um, having conversations with our EHR vendor as well as our providers about what do you do if you have to split a vent for two patients? Um, what are, what are going to be the priorities there? Those are conversations that we're not used to having um, in mass like that. I mean, you have those individual patient uh, ethical questions, um, but boy, that's just added to the, the impact on the organization. Um, we've, we've had financial impact. We've had a furlough across the organization. Uh, for six, eight, ten weeks is what it's expected to be. Um, it's affected, you know, just the ability to take care of patients overall. On the positive side, though, um, we were talking a little bit before we got started. Stephanie was. It's there's really been a somewhat unexpected rallying around this common enemy. Um, it has really been uh, fabulous and and very joyful. And not to take away from the seriousness of of the. Uh, COVID crisis, but it's been joyful to see everyone rallying around that and and giving each other a lot of grace as things don't roll out just perfectly because you've got such a compressed timeline. You know, Brett, it's it's fascinating because, and this we're going to talk about this throughout the webinar, but there is this dichotomy of an increase of stress and an increase of burnout, perhaps, and these tough decisions that, to me, you think of only having to be made en masse in a almost a uh, combat situation, combat medics making these decisions, right? I remember the show MASH, right? I don't know if anybody remembers that show, but that was a lot of all the <laughs> patients came in and you triage, right, in mass. So you've got that, but you've also got what you mentioned with this sort of this focus and sense of mission and meaning and coming together and heroes we are heroes and 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 just the acknowledgement so that uplifts so is it really that two-sided coin i think it is to an extent i think if it if this were to persist for months and months and months it it would be tough to maintain that that focus um and it's been isolated you know the, the major stressors are around emergency department caregivers the intensivists the hospitalists so you've got primary care rallying around those colleagues saying, hey, listen, I used to work in a hospital, or you give me a little training, I'll do it, or I'll work in one of the urgent cares. Um, right, in the, you know, in, in the relative short term, I, it's a very big positive. And I think on the other side of this will be very helpful for our organization moving forward. The relationships forged through some of this, it's going to 
that's going to be, uh, that won't change. I do worry if we were to hit a surge, if we, you know, is this different for us in Kentucky and Indiana than it would, than it is in New York? You know, I, I have to believe that it is. Very good. Stephanie, your thoughts on how this has impacted your organization? You know, I have to echo a lot of Brett's comments. You know, it has been disruptive. It's been disruptive financially. It's been disruptive programmatically. Um, you know, and, and I think anytime you have a situation where, uh, you know, you have a, a novel virus, you have something unknown, um, you the, the impact, the numbers of patients are unpredictable. You're in a resource um, you know, crunch situation and, and having to have those tough conversations around, you know, how do we make decisions, uh, you know, at scale, you know, if we need to, to plan for vent use, it's, um, it, it's a scary experience and not one that, you know, at least I've had in, in my career. So that's stressful, but, you know, we've also seen, you know, a lot of those positive impacts, um, when we've been pushed to get out of our traditional lanes and kind of shake up our traditional ways of working, you know, getting ruts, um, it certainly pushed us together. And I think in a lot of cases allowed us to think differently, uh, to be, you know, innovative uh, in, in places where we need to be. And, and also, um, you know, move to solutions quickly. Uh, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, provider burnout in the process, it's not always about the change. Sometimes it's about all the belaboring that, you know, we do ahead of time. And we haven't had that luxury. So it's been really exciting and gratifying to see, you know, when we, when we work together as a team, you know, we figure out what needs to be done. We're able to move to those changes swiftly uh, and, and see the positive impact. Um, we really are a lot more resilient and nimble than I think, you know, sometimes we give ourselves credit for. And I'm, I'm hopeful that as we go back into those lanes and, and pick up our, you know, regular programming, you know, that we're able to remember those moments and, and have some confidence in what the team can produce together. Very good. Ben, um, your organization, both as a service provider, you got a lot of customers. So right. you got a lot of customers that have a lot of needs. Um, and your communications tools would think would be something that could help them get through a time like this. So what are you seeing on your end, both from your customers and in terms of uh, have you been seeing a big uptick in requests for your services, uh, that type of thing? Yeah. Yeah, thank you for, for asking. You know, I, I just want to first give a shout out that, you know, we're in complete awe of what our customers do every day at Perfect Serve, and in this exceptional time, even now more than ever. And I, I just want to thank our our, our frontline medical uh, teams and, and staff, and the IT teams that support them uh, in this very challenging time. Uh, and Stephanie and Brett, uh, I just want to give that shout out. It's been profound for us at Perfect Serve. Uh, we've been. Uh, working tirelessly around the clock. Uh, platform usage has gone up over 400%. Uh, we've been deploying COVID-19 specific uh, tweaks and use cases to over 150 locations. And uh, it's different for us because we're doing this all working from home where we're used to actually being in those hospitals with, with our partners uh, as a high-touch company. So So that's been a new paradigm for how we uh, deliver our, our solutions. And um, there are some uh, changes that uh, I, I think I'm going to get to describe a bit later on in the products. Uh, one example is the use of video. It's exploded for us as well. Uh, and 
One example is helping reduce um, uh, the risk of infection to frontline medical staff by using virtual visits. And the other is new telehealth workflows that, you know, haven't uh, been been uh, deployed before in, in the industry. On a scheduling front, uh, we're seeing this uh, a huge surge in demand uh, coupled with the um, uh, with the issues in supply that Brett alluded to uh, with providers. And so being able to adapt uh, resources really quickly on, on the fly and allow our customers to, to, to get providers scheduled without having them burnt out. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of this change that we're seeing is, is permanent and, and we're not going to go back to the way we did. Uh, it's not going to be business as usual post-pandemic. I think that's a, a interesting point, and let's let's go with that a little bit further. Um, Stephanie, your thoughts on the permanence of some of the things that are happening, both culturally um, and then technically in terms of people working remotely, remote visits, that kind of thing. Um, there's a suspicion that the relaxations that that have been put on telehealth will not go back to the way they were. Mm-hmm. Um, so, your thoughts around that? You know, I I have to agree with Ben. I think. It is going to be different moving forward. You know, the one of the upsides of the pandemic, you know, is that it's really created a an organic situation where we forced people out of their comfort zones because there's been, you know, no other alternative. So for someone who may have said, I'm not interested in a virtual visit, you know, I'm uncertain about that. I don't know what it means or even providers, you know, who may be reticent who, you know, and again, I, I can't stress enough the importance of having that relationship and some of that needs to be face to face, but there are, there are use cases where it does make sense to use some other, uh, you know, means of care. Uh, pushing people out of that comfort zone in this situation gives, I think, individuals an opportunity to um, to test their assumptions or or test, you know, question maybe a bias that they they may have had going in. So um, experience is very important, and I think in a lot of cases, those experiences have been really positive, uh, and and would hope to see that uh, you know we would continue to think that way. And also hope to see that, you know, the various regulatory bodies and our payers, um, you know, see the value in that as well and are as progressive as we would like to be, you know, going down that path. Brett, thoughts on uh, some things that will not go back to business? And we don't even know if and when business, business as usual goes back, if it ever does. And we don't know about resurgence, people talking about the fall. You mentioned the fatigue. It's one thing to get through it the first time. It comes around again. People, you know, a little exhaustion. Uh, I can't do this again. Uh, but your thoughts? Right. No, that's fair. I, th- I see it on two different levels. At a, on a clinical level, yeah, I don't know we go back from a video visit perspective. What I've seen, the, the hurdles amongst my colleagues that would say, no, my patients don't want this. Uh, that's crappy medicine. All this, they're, they're gone. Like, as soon as they couldn't see patients in person, they're gone. <laughs> and so it's fantastic to see those same people come back with new ideas. Hey, could I do this with a post-op video visit check? I really don't need to see them unless they're having this, this, or this. Could I do that? You know, and getting them coming forward rather than pushing it to them, that's been exciting to see. And I, I think we'll just continue to see use cases and ways that we can use technology to uh, to improve efficiencies, which from a burnout perspective, hopefully that gives time back to a provider. And whether they want to see more patients with that time or they want to go home is is on them. Um, from an organizational standpoint, to echo a little bit what Stephanie was saying earlier, I wonder, I think one of the reasons we were able to get things done so fast is because of the focus. And do we as an organization think 
right, wow, instead of doing 30 things over the next year, we're going to do five and we're going to do them fast. We're going to do them well, and we're going to get them done. And we're going to go to the next five. And I don't know if that's the right answer or not, but that, you know, you see that with this COVID response, everyone's focused. I mean, the, the, the amount of time that it would normally take to get a compliance and legal and, and they're great folks in my organization, don't get me wrong, but to go through all those processes, that's frustrating to a clinician that doesn't understand what all those steps are for and think you should be able to do it much quicker. And so the expectations in the bar have also been set a little bit higher post-COVID for business as usual. Hey, wait a minute, we got this done during the pandemic. Why can't we do, why does this take six months now? Um, and they're probably pretty good questions. And then work from home, I think, golly, I think we've, we're, we have about 25 thousand employees and we've had around four that have gone home for the first time to work from home so what does that look like from an infrastructure standpoint what are the costs associated with that we were always struggling kind of with buildings and so it, it adds to the potential solutions in that realm as well Ben anything else you want to add on that no I I, I mean I agree with with, with everything uh, Brett and Stephanie said uh, I, I really like Brett's comments about how we now ask ourselves, well, why did that rollout take 12 months before? We just did it in three weeks. <laughs> and so, uh, and uh, same with our company, you know, we, we, um, we, we worked with our health systems to stand up a brand new uh, telehealth platform uh, that can be used inside outside the hospital. We, we built it in two months and we rolled it out in a number of sites in a few days. And those types of projects would have taken months or even up to a year uh, before this uh, pandemic. So, so Ben, is not, not only on the, so I would imagine on the customer side, they were able to execute a lot more quickly, but also internally, uh, have you been able to see what you're capable of at a quicker pace? So both sides. Yeah, uh, we, cer we certainly have. We, we had had a certain number of capabilities on the, on the roadmap, and uh, this, th this uh, really forced us to bring forward those capabilities, but also do it in a way that was very rapid as a, you know, as a pro software product uh, organization. Uh, very agile methodologies, uh, having virtual teams working together in uh, voice and, and chat rooms, building new products uh, and breaking down those uh, barriers. It, it's been quite profound. And uh, uh, Brett's, Brett's point um, about when we talk about burnout, this has also been an opportunity to come together uh, as a team more closely. We were talking before the webinar that we know all of our colleagues a lot better now because we can see what's on their bookshelves behind them and uh, <laughs> and what they wear to work when they're not having to put a suit on every day. So um, I think that kind of environment has fostered a lot of creativity and, and a lot of innovation, at least in our company. And I've seen the same thing in, in our healthcare systems. Very good. All right. Um, let's get a little bit more into the physician burnout angle. So Stephanie, let me start with you. How would you describe the impact of the pandemic on your physicians and what, you know, in the burnout issue? You know, we've, we've been very blessed, um, you know, in our region to, you know, not be in, in a hot spot and certainly not be in a position where we're having to, um, uh, struggle with resources as much or struggle with um, supplies. So, you know, for us, you know, obviously it's been stressful with the unknown and trying to plan. I think, you know, the, the biggest area where we really had to focus 
where there was uncertainty and just making sure that folks were comfortable as, was in the space of virtual care. You know, as we moved to uh, to seeing all of our patients or you know, the majority of our patients um, using those tools and technologies, um, it, it was not as widely used here. You know, we weren't really seeing um, the the use of that at scale. So trying to support everyone, um, you know, adopting that all at the same time, you know, at volume certainly, you know, creates create some stress. I think, you know, we were able to work through a lot of that um, by very much having a focused effort, you know, a very strong interdisciplinary team, very high touch. You know, we we actually been on a call every day with one of our providers, you know, just getting anecdotal feedback on what's going on. What are you hearing on the ground? Uh, you know, and and for me, and I'm I'm relatively new to SEL Health. I've I've not even hit my full year here, so I'm still in the process of getting to to know our medical staff and building trust. It's been a great opportunity to come in there, understand, you know, make sure there are resources available, and turn those things around, and you know, deliver on those needs pretty quickly. Um, but you know, certainly, I, I do think the impact to providers is very much, uh, you know, it's <laughs> there's regional differences. Um, there's environmental factors, you know, what's the culture in your organization, you know, how is the administration prepared and what's the support level, um, you know, what are the volumes you're seeing, I, I d definitely don't think there's a one size, you know, fits all, and I think, you know, uh, looking at, at our experience, the commitment of the organization, the communication levels, um, we've, we've done, you know, really, really well, very proud of, of how we've responded. Very good, Brett. I would only add uh, that we've seen varying impacts based on specialty as well. Uh, you know, primary care all of a sudden went from sort of normal activity to nothing unless they wanted to do video visits or very few. Then you've got the critical care guys around our system that sort of rallied around each other and their service line and how can we help each other. And, you know, they're right there in the front line. Same thing with the ED and what solutions do they need versus, say, uh, you know, a, a diabetic educator, which is different. And then also in our system, I mentioned we have about 1,400 employed providers, but then we probably have as many or twice as many uh, affiliated providers that work at our facilities. And so their needs are different. Now, we don't necessarily support them in their offices, but we support them in the hospital and trying to help them out while our video solution in the ambulatory setting isn't theirs because they don't have our EHR, just trying to help them vet products that are out there when they had questions um, has been part of the impact that we've seen out of the system as well. Ben, uh, regarding what you're seeing with the customers? Yeah, uh, 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 staffing and resource concerns, having to do more with less uh, is a general theme that we're helping uh, with. Also seeing some interesting um, use cases. So since elective surgeries have been pretty much canceled uh, across the country, you've got uh, physicians that are now joining telehealth networks or on-demand telehealth that uh, would normally not be doing so to sort of, and, and Brett alluded to some of that is the repurposing of some of the physicians. And so mm -hmm. we're seeing that with our, with our tools and, and the way that they're being used, uh, especially around uh, quick ad hoc uh, telehealth consults and things of that nature. Well, Ben, there's a tremendous scheduling angle to this, as I'm sure Stephanie and Brett would agree. Um, right. You've got, You've got, as, as we discussed, you've got healthcare workers who are no, no longer needed as much as they were with elective surgeries being canceled where they were working. Based on their credentials and expertise, 
they are being, with or without their will, uh, moved around like chess pieces in the health system to where they're needed. Sometimes they're put on nights. Sometimes they're put on days. Sometimes they're put all over the place. This is a scheduling nightmare. Um, this is being done week to week. This is not, there's no schedules for the month. So talk right. about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I agree. You called it a scheduling nightmare. We, we see this as a huge opportunity where we where we're helping. So it's one of the two major things we're, we're doing is um, allowing that surge in demand, the patient load, along with making sure providers aren't, for example, put on back-to-back 12-hour uh, shifts, spacing those out, but also bringing in uh, on-the-fly providers from uh, that, for example, might have been furloughed in an adjacent health system so that they can actually get on uh, and uh, onto, the, onto the rotation, not, not just for um, uh, ED and ICU, but also telehealth. So that's essentially the core of what uh, our core scheduling platform does is allows that really quick, responsive, on-the-fly changes and, more importantly, the optimization to the schedule so that given that we have this many providers, what's the maximum impact of care that we can provide while minimizing uh, the burden on those providers, allowing them to get their downtime and their sleep? Yeah, let's, let's, Steph, uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about the, the and this is something I had not thought about much before, but the angle of scheduling and I guess having a, a nimble tool like, uh, like Perfect Serves tool or a tool of that nature can be quite helpful. I mean, scheduling could be a big part of burnout, right? So I don't know your thoughts there. My thoughts, Stephanie. No, oh, Ste- I'm sorry, sorry Stephanie. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. No, I mean it, it. It absolutely is a is a big um, concern, you know. And I think it's got you know more dimensions than just the schedule. You know, it's looking at staffing as a whole, acuities on units, trying to you know, predict and understand, uh, you know, what that's going to look like and, and not just do we have a body in the seat, do we have the right body in the seat, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and are we setting our clinicians um, up to be successful? You know, this has been a, you know, just to talk on the, as a nurse, just to talk on the nursing front a little bit, you know, this has been a huge focus for us. And we've certainly, um, you know, been doing some things on the fly to, to make sure that we're giving uh, additional resources to, you know, our, our chief nurses to understand acuity uh, and really, you know, an additional data point to feel confident about, uh, you know, how we're scheduling and how we're staffing, you know, our, our acute units. So, you know, it's a, it's a constant challenge. And then I think, you know, on the ambulatory side, you've got, you know, the additional considerations. Um, I know for us, we've, you know, continued to push on open scheduling and, you know, putting more in the hands of the consumer, which, you know, obviously creates an additional layer of complexity as we look at, you know, who do we have? And again, do we have the right providers, you know, on the other end of that? And are we doing that in a way that, uh, you know, empowers the, that consumer, empowers that patient to feel like, you know, they are really, um, you know, uh, able to, um, to make choices um, independently, you know, and, and do we have providers that are set up to be successful to respond to that? How, how our customers, how our patients experience us in these moments 
will last well beyond COVID. So, you know, that, that has to be on point. And, you know, I, I can say we constantly look at, you know, what are, what are ways we can do that more effectively? Um, you know, how do we scale those practices? How do we set both, both sides of the equation up to be successful? Brett, uh, the, you know, the scheduling is interesting and you have a lot of nuances. So right now you've got, you know, people that are credentialed to do certain things that haven't done them in 10, 20, 30 years that are being told to do them. So there's a learning curve there. There's a, a element of discomfort, but you, it's a war, almost a war situation. You've, you've got the certification. I can put you here. You got to go here. You'll figure it out when you get there. Um, but I don't know. How is that in the context of burnout and stress and all that? Well, I would also add the complexity of I can't take uh, myself as a family physician in our system and put myself in an urgent care and not need some training. I don't mean the, the clinical part. <laughs> I've got to learn a different module in our EHR. So we've had mm -hmm. to set up kind of emergency uh, video training so they could be accessed at any point in time if our training team's asleep or whatever um, to, to do that. So it's not just scheduling them. It's making sure they can use the tools that are necessary to do that job. You know, I was thinking almost post-COVID, too. Right now in a lot of our ambulatory clinics, the, you know, Stephanie mentioned open scheduling. I think what she meant, and correct me if I'm wrong, Stephanie, but is the patient's got the ability to pick a provider, even if they're not part mm -hmm. of the system, and, and, and get in. And mm -hmm. there's, there's chronically been a tension between we know that's what patients want and that lack of control that gives a provider. And I think that's another source of stress. I don't know if you want to say at least a burnout, mm -hmm. but it's a source of stress to say, they don't they won't know what uh appointment to pick or they won't now i think there's studies out there to disagree with that but it is one of those mm -hmm. things to overcome that leads to additional provider stresses i'm giving away control of my schedule to the patients and what are they going to fill it up with i think primary care we have less of a problem with that because we're you it doesn't matter what the schedule says it could be something totally different than what they said they were coming in for by the time you get done uh, but i think that's a tension that we're as providers, we're going to have to get past because it, that's out of the, the patients. If you can't order your pizza on your phone uh, and a time to pick up or a time that's delivered, they want to be able to do their medical care. At least they're scheduling that way. One question I would have for Ben or just a thought is, you know, right now, the majority of our ambulatory video visits, that's like 80% of what we're doing. As that starts shifting back to more in-person in patients, What's the optimal schedule uh, structure for video and seeing in person? Because it's one thing to sit here and see 10 patients in a row by video. It's another to go, I've got to go to two rooms. I've got to do a quick procedure. Then I come right. back to my office and do a couple of video visits. What's the optimal, maybe by specialty, maybe by individual. But that's another thing that if we're not careful, we can add to that scheduling stress. Because um, we, listen, until we're into a full value-based world, we're, we're not. We are almost all fee-for-service. We're on a treadmill. And that's how we get paid. Uh, now, it's nice to see some of the uh, barriers coming down for the video visits and the like, but it's still um, a productivity-based world, and we have to be careful about how we schedule. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, I agree. And, and, and that's where using a, a really flexible rules-based scheduling that, that can take these different uh, uh, parameters and, and work modes into a single combined schedule. And, and we're seeing a lot of demand for, for that, with a given ambulatory site, you've you've got to balance the the the, the visits with the virtual visits in, in the same schedule, Brett. Um, yeah. One one other thing we talked about a lot is, is the scheduling capacity. But just imagine 
the communications that go on between providers and, and to patients and families behind the scenes, when you have these schedules um, that, that are flexing and changing to surge. And so that's the other thing that we, we've been focused on is routing that, that message or that phone call based on the right provider at the right time. And so it's not for us, at least, it's not just about the schedules and optimizing them. It's about driving the right communications based on those schedules. And, and that's where we've seen um, a huge, a huge surge in the usage of, uh, of, of our primary platforms. All right, Brett. So now you're on the hook here. You started the ask a co-panelist feature out of turn, which is fine. We're nimble <laughs> here. So now you have to ask Stephanie a question. Sure, sure. Um, through all this, it's really made me think what technologies are, what's the next thing? Um, you know, I think video and some of these digital technologies, maybe that's the answer, but I'm just curious from your perspective in the next one to two years, maybe that gets accelerated, maybe that's a, a bad time frame, but the next one to two years, what technologies do you see out there um, that could help with burnout? You know, I think probably the the one that's most exciting to me is is really you know ambient clinical intelligence. You know, if we get people more comfortable using uh, you know tablets, handhelds, you know video visits, uh, being able to to liberate them from the keyboard uh, as you know a second a second phase of that work, I think becomes very powerful. Um, you know, I'm certainly a proponent of anything that we can do that's going to put our, our nurses and providers and the rest of our care team closer to the patient. So if we can use that technology to, uh, to record that voice, to translate things into notes, um, you know, really pull some of that administrative burden off. It enhances that relationship. Um, and it certainly, you know, supports removing some of the, the barriers that we have that, that lead us down that burnout path. Um, you know, all the extras. So the more we can use technology, um, natural language processing, predictive modeling, uh, you know, to, to, to provide a service to those clinicians so they can really focus on caring for that patient. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to be, well, I think we'll really start to turn the corner when we get to that place. All right. Very good. Uh, go ahead. No, I go just ahead, liberate Brett. them from the computer. I a hundred percent agree. I can't wait to see some of the it's that data entry piece that drives my colleagues crazy, um, Absolutely. It's just, whether it's an order or, or documenting the note. And that's why you see scribes, you know, like crazy. I think the voice recognition, ambient uh, clinical intelligence, those kinds of things put, put scribes out of business, quite frankly. I think, I think too, you know, another, um, another layer of that with legislation, regulatory bodies, payers, um, you know, a lot of that burden is, <laughs> of data collection is really from those parties. And, and, you know, I think the more we can start to question where is the value of that in cases where there is clinical value, I think that conversation becomes much easier to have. We, we need to collect this, this information. This is how it's going to be used, you know, to enhance our care process. If that, if we can't really provide a value statement and certainly, you know, on the billing side of things, um, you know, we've got some antiquated, systems and processes out there that, you know, we really need to, to focus on modernizing. Um, you know, if we can also get a little bit of a lift in those areas to, to really question, you know, the relaxation of some rules and, and expectations in this COVID process, I, I'm going to be curious at the end of the day, did we really lose anything? You know, um, are these, 
questions that we should be asking in the long run, um, you know, and, and what's that going to mean? Uh, that may help with, I think, some of that data collection, you know, data entry, clerical feelings that our providers have that are, you know, so key in creating the, the you know, the burnout situation that we have. Yeah, I would agree. Pushing back on some of those regulatory things, just knowing as a provider, when I come back with an answer, like, why do I have to do this? And you say, because I said so, that doesn't sit well. That's that's <laughs> not stressful. a good answer. It's a little bit better to come back and say, well, CMS requires this. If I agree as an organization that that's a silly thing, that it does not provide any value, what I would love to see as an individual provider or collective is to see the organization then push back to CMS and say, where's the value in this? Can we can we standardize this reporting? I mean, I don't know about you, but how many different requests for COVID data have you gotten from state, federal, local payers? Can we can we standardize this? Do we really have to have 120 different reports? Um, I mean, that's probably a time for or another conversation, but... Um, yeah, if you could just see that you're not helpless in this as the end user, as the clinician to say, wow, somebody is advocating for me and realizes this is not providing value. I think that is tremendous for just morale. Ben, anything you want to jump in on there? No, I, you know, just go, going back to things will never go back uh, to the way they were uh, and the applications of, of technology in in profound ways, uh, I was talking to a healthcare system that's now using uh, video visits uh, to triage ED patients when they show up uh, at the ED. Uh, that would not have been a conversation be before the pandemic, which is a, a patient showing up at the ED and being sent to the parking lot to an isolation tent where they have a an ED triaging session with a physician. So um, looking forward to all of the continued uh, innovation and access to healthcare that has been spurred here by uh, uh, by this pandemic. All right, very good. We're going to uh, launch our poll here. Um, so I encourage everyone, including our panelists, to take this. Uh, first question, dealing with COVID-19 will push physicians closer to burnout. Agree or disagree? Dealing with COVID-19 will not exacerbate burnout as physicians now have a greater sense of mission. And physician burnout reduction efforts must be put on hold while health systems address COVID-19. So if you want to answer those questions, um, and then we'll take a look at them in a minute. Uh, ben, I want to give you an opportunity to ask your co-panelists a question. So whoever you want to start with first. Yes. Uh, you, you know, we, we talked a lot of... Um, about telehealth uh, uh, today and, and video, I, I guess a question for both uh, Stephanie and, and, and Brett, are there, are there other changes to the patient engagement models or technologies that you've seen as a result of, uh, uh, as a result of COVID-19? Brett, why don't you go first? Yes, uh, most definitely. Uh, just just the interaction, the desire for patients now that are scared to come to an office or to come to the emergency department and want to do things virtually, um, not just video visits, but you know, medication requests or just questions that they may have. Also, just things, just the communication of patient to an office or patient to a clinician has changed or is changing. Um, right now at my office, we don't have a waiting room anymore. Um, we, you come in, you call when you get to the parking lot, you let them know that you're here. And then when we're ready for you, we'll call you back and, and bring you in. 
uh, kind of one at a time. I think there's obviously more elegant ways to do that with maybe texting or some uh, other applications, but that's, you know, that's where we are right now. And I, I don't, you know, that's not going to change back overnight. Um, even if we had a vaccine, you know, in a couple of months, which is optimistic. So I, I see that, that piece of communication. And then the scheduling piece, I think is that we mentioned is still a real big, I don't say barrier, but all these, uh, all this emphasis on the digital part of care is really going to accelerate, in my opinion, going to really accelerate within our organization, um, the use of those things. You gave so me this I vision, Brad. Well. Oh, go oh ahead, sorry. I, I was just, just going to say, I, I agree. Um, the, you know, the other areas that I think are the new frontier, and it's certainly things that, that we're in the process of, of doing or have done is, uh, you know, also looking at what kind of digital tools are out there that really take some pressure off our clinical staff. You know, there are chat bots now for COVID. Um, you know, I'd, I'd much rather a patient, if they're seeking information and maybe not ready to make that call or not ready to make that appointment, leverage something where we know what the content is behind it versus going to, you know, Google for, <laughs> for you know, clinical direction. Um, you know, as we look at, you know, even beyond COVID uh, in a, you know, in a population health world where we're really focused on, the health of our patients, not just when they're they're in our buildings, but also when they get home, looking at things, you know, much more longitudinally, uh, you know, how do we use those types of applications, those um, bi-directional te texting, how do we put algorithms behind that? So maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be an individual on the other side doing it. We're, we're leveraging, um, you know, data and, and those modalities to, to help pick out the hot ones, so to speak, you know, the ones that get kicked up where we know we, we need to have someone contacting that patient because they've gone off a path, uh, you know, or there's something in what they've said that might indicate that there's a complication or an issue um, in the care of that patient while they're at home. So, you know, for us, I think the more we can look at uh, what types of tools we can deploy that will um, be supportive to the provider in some of that data gathering and, and um, synthesis, and then really tee that up so that they can spend their time really, you know, treating patients, I think will be super helpful. Yeah, ben, you wanted to jump add, in? I, oh, sorry, go ahead, Brett. No, along the data piece, I, I that is a really important point. You know, we can bring Fitbit data into the chart, but as a clinician, I don't want it. It doesn't do anything for me. If on the back end we can provide the reason we're presenting it, um, you know, it looks like based on studies that this, you know, they're, they're moving less, maybe they're depressed, perhaps you want to reach out, give me something to do with it, rather than just this raw data, we're, we're getting, as interoperability improves, which is great, we're also getting inundated with duplicates and all kinds of things that we have to get smarter on the backside to help out the clinicians, mm -hmm. because that's definitely a direct leader to some burnout for sure. We are, we are data rich and information poor. <laughs> across the board and and we yeah, we've got to get better there all right very good let's uh well i'm not going to share the poll poll results yet yet i'm going to make you guess i'm going to make our panelists <laughs> guess I, I love this okay so stephanie you're going to guess at the first one uh okay. dealing with covid19 will push physicians closer to burnout agree disagree what do you think the percentage is on the breakdown there uh, I, I think um, most people are probably going to agree with that, and I'm going to cheat and be a, a fence sitter on this one because I think there's so many environmental <laughs> factors <laughs> that, that can that can contribute. Um, I would probably yeah. say that's probably a 70-30 maybe. 
Wow, very impressive. 74-26. Very wow. impressive. Well done. Nice. Well done. Nice. All right, Brett, you're up next with number two. Uh, dealing with COVID-19 will not exacerbate burnout as physicians now have a greater sense of mission. What do you think that breakdown is? Yeah. <laughs> 50-50 because, I, you know, I think it's true to a point uh, or it may not be true in New York City. It's true for us right now, but if this right. were to persist, it's it's going to be, no, it's not. It's going to contribute to burnout. Well, so the result, sort of a, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 I you're not saying it's sort of, it's sort of like um, uh, an immunoglobulin. It's going to give me help temporarily. It's going to give me, you know, a couple of months of immunity, and then it's going to wear off, and I'm either going to have to get it again or, or do something yeah. different. Well, that's an analogy I haven't heard today since now, until now. So <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, the breakdown there was only 33% agree uh, about this having some sort of uplifting effect. 67% disagree. So most folks, based on these two, two questions, think burnout is definitely going to or getting worse because of COVID. Um, so there you have that. Now, Ben, you're going to go with number three. Physician burnout reduction efforts must be put on hold while health systems address, address COVID-19. What do you think the breakdown is there? I, just before I venture my guess, is there a prize to the closest <laughs> guess here? Because I think Stephanie's, uh, well, you, I think. Set the bar. Yeah. You, you, I think you, just the respect of the, the, the healthcare IT community and the admiration, you know? That's yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I would, I would venture and the way I feel about this is absolutely this is the time that we need to be focused on attacking burnout uh, due to the strain uh, on our system in these trying times. So I, I'm going to uh, disagree with uh, that. I'd say probably 10% would say that efforts must be put on hold for burnout while we address wow. COVID-19. Wow. It's 8%. So oh. you're going <laughs> to... I think you even beat Stephanie, right? He was even closer than Me. Stephanie. Uh, what, what did you get, Stephanie? 70? I think 70-30. 70-30. Yeah, Ben, you won. You won. <laughs> All right, sharing results. All right, you win Good the there. admiration and respect of the entire community. I can, I can guarantee <laughs> that. Um, all right, let's, let's uh, get in a little bit more. Um, Stephanie, your turn to ask your co-panelists a question. You know, um, w one thing I've noticed, and, and again, I'm fairly new in my organization, so forging relationships with um, with our CMIO and our we have a new CNIO, and, and I can say, you know, historically, uh, how much I've valued those relationships, and and you know, in a in a prior organization, really been able to see the value. Uh, you know, when those, uh, when you've got IT, you've got your CMIO, your CNIO really coalesced and, and working as a true team, um, you know, because that's where we see the opportunities and, and really help to make those connections and ensure that we're delivering solutions that are simple and streamlined and efficient and provide high clinical value. Um, just, just curious, Brett, you know, as you look to, um, to forge those relationships and, and have, um, you know, interdependence like that, what are, what are the strategies that you're using, you know, with your, um, with your CIO, with, you know, maybe um, IT leaders who may or may not be clinical? Uh, how do you promote uh, that working as a team and, and what are you finding to be successful both in and out of COVID? 
Well, that's a great question. You know, I have the, I've been in our department now for six years and started off as the medical director for our EHR implementation sort of system-wide. And the humility that I had to bring to that role, because I came in with no IT background. And so what I learned, I mean, I'm sitting in plenty of meetings where I'm thinking, my goodness, what value do I possibly bring to this room of technical expertise? And there'd be this one fork in the road clinically where I said, if we, we're going to build it and it's going to go to the left. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're going to kill the nurse if you go to the left. You have to go to the right. And the technical folks are like, okay, fine, we'll build it to the right. And I realized my <laughs> value in that equation, right? And so I think coming at things with recognizing I'm not the, the technical person but bringing that clinical value and then showing the technical side of it, technical folks, what they're doing, how it's impacting patient care. We haven't done it fully yet, but I really urged our department to say one day a year as um, an analyst in, uh, you know, with Epic on our team or the infrastructure team, you've got to come and spend some time with somebody who's clinical. So you get that impact of what you're doing. I think sometimes, gosh, working at home is probably even worse, but when you're you're isolated in a cubicle or you're having these technical meetings and you're never on a ward or you're never in the operating room or in an office, you forget, you know, your purpose. And that's done a lot with the relationships that I've forged over time. And I think going through something like COVID is almost like, you know, Anthony mentioned a war, I'd say residency, uh, you know, boot camp, something <laughs> in the middle. It's a, it's a common, horrible thing that you wouldn't choose to go through. But on the other side of this, the relationships that are forged, you can come back to and lean upon. And then I think, so I think you're joining your organization in a, at this time or in the last you know year is, is probably going to bring a lot of value to have gone through this with them. All right. Very good. Very good. Well, we're almost out of time, Ben. I want to give you an opportunity for sort of a last word here. Um, you know, we talked about your you know, unified communications a little bit is, is one of the main things your company does. The scheduling piece was a huge element we discussed today and how important that is. Um, your final thoughts on this environment, reducing burnout, obviously from the poll, we've seen that there's concern out there that this is not perhaps the uplifting moment that will remove burnout that I thought perhaps, uh, that was my theory, I wrote the question, so I thought perhaps there was that element of mission and maybe burnout would come back down the road, but people don't think so. They think this added stress is just gonna up the ante. So your thoughts, your final thoughts there. Well, you know, I, I I do feel that there's been a uh, huge rally, um, not just within our team, but between our teams and, and our, our customers working together to solve problems. And I guess one, one thing I would say is that I, I don't see this as a binary event uh, at all. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about, well, and you read in the media, uh well, next time we'll be prepared. We'll have more ventilators on hand. We'll have more ICU beds. But I think as, or probably more important, is this is a good gut check to prepare for the next pandemic or the resurgence of, of, of COVID-19 um, and and uh, a check to have all systems uh, in place, uh, in, including those that, uh, that we work on, which is communications and, and scheduling. So, um, and... You know, I, I, I think this uh, exposes the, uh, the opportunity to really focus and, and find sources of burnout and, uh, and optimize and attack those uh, more than ever. So um, anyway, just some of, some of my thoughts. 
Excellent. All right. Well, that's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready to view. If you want to sponsor one of our events, you can go to our website or reach out to Nancy from our team, and you can also go there to register for our upcoming webinars. So with that, I very much want to thank our excellent panel. I think we got gone for another hour, but people have to go to work. Um, Stephanie McIntyre, Dr. Brett Oliver, and Ben Moore, and I want to thank Perfect Sir very much for making this important conversation possible. And I want to thank you for attending. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.